Welcome to Better Homes and Dungeons. But first, word from our sponsor. Have you ever made a deal that you just need to get out of? Have you found the terms and conditions of that infernal contract just really just difficult? Impossible to understand, like it's a complete different language. We're here to help. With Morden Kanan's Tome of Legal Services, we can make sure there is balance in that deal. And that's terrible. Um, everyone, and welcome, as I said, welcome to Better Homes and Dungeons. Um, I've got someone who's made some really cool stuff with me today. Um, my friend, who are you and, and, and what did you make? Who, and what did you do? Uh, hi, I'm John Harper. I am a game designer and graphic artist. Uh, my pronouns are he, they, and I, uh, I made such games as Blades in the Dark, uh, Lady Blackbird, Lasers and Feelings, uh, Danger Patrol, and the uh, newest uh, game, Agon, my game of Greek adventure in the ancient world uh, that I made with my buddy Sean Nittner, that which just came out. Uh, they're all tabletop role-playing games. I didn't mention that. Your audience probably knows that already, but <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's what I make. I, I, I think <clears throat> I'm yet to have like a non-tabletop thing, and, and one day I probably will. But yeah, maybe one day. We'll see. Um, now, John, you, you've said that you've made a whole bunch of things. Blades in the Dark is probably the one people know you best for, or at least that's the one I've like heard most about. Um, I've played Lasers and Feelings. I've read the details on Lady Blackbird. And um, first of all, totally forgot to see that was by you. And now I'm even more impressed because Lady Blackbird's lovely. Um, how did you get into game design? Uh, in general, I got into it when I was when I was young. Um, I just always had an interest in games and board games and card games. And my family are, are game players. We always played stuff, um, and I would tinker around with different ideas for for versions of of uh, poker or, or different card games like that. But um, it really started when I played my first role playing game uh, in the mid '80s. My friend uh, had a copy of Gamma World and ran a session for me and um i ended up taking the book and photocopying some pages out of it and then starting my own group with those photocopy pages and we had to hack our own rules for different things that were missing from the sheets and <laughs> uh pretty much right away we started as our game group to kind of like house rule and then totally build our own uh designs and systems and we started playing marvel superheroes and hacking that and using the results table on the back of the book to do use, use it for different genres. And um, so my, my design phase of role-playing kind of started immediately, almost the very second time, second session of a, of a role-playing game for me was already um, creating rules and, and systems and, and things like that. And I just kind of never quit doing that. Uh, and years later, um, got involved with sort of the industry side of role-playing and uh, started, you know, publishing games and doing it more officially. But it was, it was a process from about when I was 10 years old to, to now I've, it's just been a thing I've always done. That's excellent. I mean, that's really super cool. I mean, I, I've never played Gamma World. Um, I mean, I've heard about it and it's interesting that like of the, like the, the giants in the TTRPG space at that time, it wasn't D and D 
that you started with. Yeah, my my cousins and uncles uh, were playing D&D and I had seen the books and um, was really into it uh, and was draw drawing from my memory of seeing wizards and trolls and things in those books. Um, and had even sort of drawn character sheets based on the sheets that I had seen. My cousin had shown me his his uh, paladin character sheet or something, and I had tried to recreate it later. But um, yeah, it's it's funny that Dungeons and Dragons wasn't the first thing I played. I didn't play um, like official Dungeons and Dragons TSR or Wizards of the Coast D&D for quite a while. Um, we played gosh a bunch of different things all through the 80s and early 90s ghostbusters and star wars d6 and Shadowrun and traveler and just a bunch of stuff and for whatever reason dungeons and dragons wasn't the de facto kind of game obviously it was being played a lot in all the different game clubs and after school hobby spaces and stuff but mm. for me uh it just didn't i just didn't happen to i wasn't avoiding it but um I think the first time I played D and D was it was several years after I started playing role playing games um, before I ever officially played Dungeons and Dragons. That's really cool. Um, now the the game people probably know you most for is Blades in the Dark. Um, we're actually going to start playing that for our actual play from next week. Um, I get to not dungeon master for a while, so I'm I'm already very positive about this experience. Um, but flicking through Blades in the Dark, like, um, if you'll forgive me, like, this feels almost very British. Mm. Like, mm -hmm. if I had to say combine, like, Dungeons and Dragons with a, with an old school Guy Ritchie movie. Yeah. And maybe some, like, Call of Cthulhu Shadow Run in there. Yeah, I think that's that's uh it, it is it is a mashup in that vein. Um I'm a huge fan of like Lockstock and those those movies. Um Blades it Peaky Blinders was a huge influence on it. Um, I can definitely see that, yes. Yeah, yeah, there's there's it has that kind of that kind of vibe. The city itself, the main city you're in, does have a, a, a kind of Victorian England feel. Um and the the waterways of the city the the blue coats of the city watch there's there's a lot of these touchstones that feel like like old london or manchester and that yeah. kind of, or uh, there's some venice and prague stuff in there mm. too but or, or um, birmingham in the case of peaky blinders birmingham for peaky blinders yep definitely yeah. um yeah I'll, it it is it is strongly rooted it, that it, that particular city and the setting is very strongly rooted in a kind of um fantasy uh, old, old world, old, old Europe, old, old Britain kind of feel for sure. Yeah. Like, I mean, I am um, like reading the character classes, like e even they are just wonderful and evocative. Like I I'm going to be playing a cutter and mm -hmm. I just loved it because it it's just, it does evoke that very, you know, Arthur Shelby kind of guy. <laughs> who yeah. is going to yeah. hit you with a hat full of razor blades with one hand and he's got a massive crowbar in the other and he's going to shout at someone and it's going to be good. It's it's just so much better than like, you know, fighter. What does he do? He fights. <laughs> but 
cutter is more visceral and more like you know in your face that was definitely a goal uh since the game concerns itself chiefly with with the operations of a crew of of underworld types um i wanted to bake in the some lingo some language uh to imply the sort of slang of the underworld um across the whole game including the names of the playbooks the the cutter the lurk the leech the slide they are your your character class but they're also what people in the setting call those people so mm-hmm. you you have that kind of slang or uh uh cant or whatever already kind of baked in uh just as players you're already starting to talk that way just when you're, when you're picking characters and stuff yeah like i mean i i read this and i was watching peaky blinders at the time and i was like i've now got a way of playing this series awesome <laughs> mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. what i'm about <laughs> this is the best <laughs> just add some ghosts and uh you and you got it <laughs> i know i'm i mean i i just love that like and, and from a design point of view like you've got the rule book which is you know 300 odd page 330 odd pages um but then you've got the sheets which is like look you don't need everything in the rule book it's great to know but those sheets are like 60 pages of like, if you want to run, say, a couple of one shots, you could do this. And that's like, that is excellent design. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's the kind of thing I go through whenever I play a game. I, I uh, notice how much effort I have to put into making materials so that we can actually sit down and play it between like having the book and then playing do how many sheets do I have to print out do I have to create my own things am I making my own stuff and generally you know with modern games that's not so bad with especially with a lot of indie games they think of this kind of thing but historically it's been it's a challenge like coming up with good materials that you're going to actually use a sort of interface you know for the players and um since I spent most of my career as as a graphic artist and, and, and designer, visual designer in various ways, um, that part of it has always been really important to me. And um, I tried with Blades to kind of put a dashboard in front of the players and the Game Master that they can just have there and, and sort of fly the plane of the game using those things. And when you need the book, it's there, but uh, you mostly are playing from these kind of... Um, interface sheets rather than having to constantly flip through the manual yeah and i mean looking at like say you know going back to that you know big big boy in in the market which is D, which is like okay you know you've got your player's handbook your dungeons dungeon uh master handbook you've got your monster manual and then you've got like whichever other module or extra things like you know Xanathar's modern Canaan's Volos all those things and it's like I can't keep a thousand plus pages of content in my head but 60 pages where it's all laid out and it makes a lot of sense is just great like this is so much lighter by comparison but no less visceral and no less weight like it, it's just really good design thanks thanks that's great to hear yeah 
that was that was a huge goal in the in the design and, and uh, creation of that product. Yeah, it, you can tell. Like one of my beliefs about board games is if you can't get all the rules on a double sided A three, maybe reconsider. Yeah. Yeah, there's conveyance is always a trick, right? And we've all had those nights where you go to play the board game and then there's this really tedious, long explanation uh, that you're not going to remember half of uh, to get the game off the ground. And um, again, that's another thing that modern games, there are a lot of board games that are made by people who grew up suffering under those tedious explanations and now have designed board games to short circuit that and to solve those problems. And um yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great to care about the players, the real life people, uh, and take their needs in terms of time and attention span and uh, scheduling challenges and all that. Take that into account and try to have some have some empathy for them. <laughs> you know that they're yeah. this is the night they got the babysitter or whatever. And you want I I, I want them to spend most of that session playing the game and having fun playing the game and not um, having to fuss with stuff and, uh, and uh, uh, streamline that streamline and, the process and, and i can respect that have you ever played concordia concordia it rings a bell i feel like maybe i have um, remind me what that is it's a board game where you're playing like roman merchant families and no no i haven't i've oh. seen it uh, on shut up and sit down probably but yeah that, okay no that is why i played it and the fact that they explain how to play the game in three minutes is like mm, yeah but also like every piece in the game tells you how to use it it's like mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. is this is perfect i like i don't think this is the best game but it's some of the best design of game i've seen yeah that stuff really matters. It really does. Uh, Especially now when the world's on fire and everything. It's like, look, man, I've, I've only got a limited amount of, like, mental capacity. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Very true. And, um, now, we always take questions from people, um, you know, just to see how far more creative they are with their questions than I am. Um... First question was from my dungeon master, Braggerman. Um, his question is, what happens if you play with knives with the lights on? <laughs> well, I mean, you're going to get spotted, uh, first of all. You don't want that. Uh, that's, that's, that's very bold. Very bold. Mm. Much better to have to be in the dark and keep, keep that all that hidden. <laughs> yeah. Like, my response would be, well, you probably gonna get stabbed <laughs> yeah also that <laughs> yeah i mean they can see you you're right there they've got knives hmm. <laughs> but yeah so thank you cameron yeah what's that. what's the old saying the the best way to a man's heart is through his back i think that's how that goes <laughs> yeah it's not canon i mean it's a knife but you know it's 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 better than <laughs> through his stomach I mean, that's just, like, unnecessary friction. Um, oh, God. And through the sternum doesn't work either. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's just messy. Um, Stuart McLeod, who goes as um, at Epiphany Engine, um, BITD has a different rhythm with roles. 
D&D often has players rolling for minor things, like search for treasure, whereas BITD has the threat of stress. How dice-heavy do you see a session of blades? Um, and their follow-up question is, how does that feed into what moments get hand-waved or RP'd rather than randomized? Mm, yeah. Um, that's That's a very good question, and there's a... Uh, historically in gaming, there has been uh, some challenges around um, when you roll the dice and why you're rolling the dice. And a lot of games fall back on when the GM says so, whenever it crosses their personal threshold of make a check for X or whatever. Um, and so you have a lot of sort of small cultures of play where this game master calls for a perception check for every 10 feet of floor that you search and this one doesn't. And um, every, there's just this wide variety of, of approaches mm. and uh, well, a lot of games like D and D are pretty vague or, or outright uh, the missing any rule that says when exactly when to roll dice. Uh, so it's, it is just left as this kind of table culture um, and blades in the dark there are some more specific triggers for when rolls occur. They're not as specific as some indie games uh, like Burning Wheel or, or Apocalypse World that have a little more like concrete, very specific uh, triggers for, for rolls. But Blades is still more specific than, than say, modern Dungeons & Dragons is. Um, and that has to do with um, uh, opposition and consequences. So in Blades, you roll when you're, the thing you're doing is either being opposed by someone else's interests and they're in position to, to thwart you, to try to thwart you. Uh, or if the thing you're doing has a potential like wide range of consequences in terms of trouble, consequences meaning trouble for you, the, the person doing the thing. Um, if there's no clear opposition in your way and there's no range of trouble to be had, then you don't ever roll the dice in Blades. Uh, it just doesn't trigger the dice mechanics. Um, if one of those or both of those are true, then it does trigger the dice mechanics. Um, and so the next question is, how much stuff gets handled by a roll? Is it a single sw swing of a blade? Is it a whole scene? Is it a whole day of work? Is it, you know, what's the scope and scale of the dice rolls? Because that will tell us how many we're going to make on a given session, maybe. Uh, during a combat scene, during an infiltration scene, etc. Uh, so Blades has a concept called effect level, which uh, is something that you know before the dice hit the table, uh, that your actions are either going to have a limited amount of effect or up to a kind of extreme or great amount of effect. And that sort of tells us how much of, of the scene you're dispatching with your die roll. If it's very limited, this is just the scrabble between you and and the the enemy cutter uh who's got hold of the knife right now as as you know, your hands are slick with oil in the alleyway um if you're having extreme effect maybe you're dispatching him with a throat slash kicking the other guy's face in and throwing the other guy off into the canal um all is sort of a montage of action it's still one die roll but the the scale and scope of it is is it's like a dial you can imagine dot turning the dial from this limited moments to these big big uh effects and then there's some other mechanics in the game that let you systematize that a little more if you want to break it out into um 
multiple sets of roles, linked roles. You know, I do this first, then I do this. This has a knock-on effect to that. The thing I did helps you later. All those kind of systems are, are in the game too. But the, the two big uh, tent poles here are opposition and danger, and then uh, the effect level of the player's action. No. So all of that is to say there is no particular uh, like number of rolls for a score. Uh, you follow the fiction until you hit one of those roll triggers. Then you use the mechanisms of the game to determine effect. And if there's more left to do and there's still danger in opposition, then you would roll again. And if there isn't more left to do, then you wouldn't. Uh, so the, the number of rolls to do a thing is very dependent on the details of the situation and the actions of the characters. Sounds good. I mean, um, it, it kind of reminds me of like, um, say, say like in D and D, you've got like the optional home rule of take your twenty, which is mm -hmm. you can have an automatic success if you're taking at least twenty minutes, which is yeah. cool. Like you know, th there's no point asking them to you know, can you find the loot in this room where you just killed the Minotaur? It's like, well, no, they killed the Minotaur. Just give them some gold. Come on, man, be cool. Um, yeah, or, or passive perception in 5th edition, uh, where you kind of say, well, you're always sort of rolling a 10 on your perception check. We'll just, we'll just sort of assume that unless, unless these other circumstances call for you to roll the dice, we'll just say, oh, add 10 to your, to your yeah. modifier. Um, and that's, it's a similar idea, uh, as, as the roll triggers. It's just a kind of hidden sub parts of, of D&D. &D. Hmm. I, I guess it's kind of one of those things where it's like, in blades it's like okay i want i want to open this safe with a crowbar it's like okay well what's the effect you think you're gonna have like I'll, I'll open it just a little bit because it's a big safe and i've only got a crowbar and it's like well humanly you can only maybe lever it a little bit um and so you'd roll then and like you know if you fail it could be well you busted your crowbar you're stuffed um yeah but like Conversely, it's like, I want to smash this window with a rock. How far away are you? Six feet? Is it a big rock? Eh, fist size. Window breaks, well done you. Yeah, and so in those cases, uh, the instructions in Blades is to look for the opposition in danger and, and keep looking until you find it, kind of, so... So you say, I want to break this window with a rock. Like, great, but why Why are you doing that? Well, I want to get into the place and, you know, smash and grab the jewelry out of the store before the owner wakes up. Oh, yeah. okay, that's what we're That's what we're really doing. You're, you're breaking into this place, grabbing, stuffing jewelry into your pockets and jumping out the window, right? That's, that's the actual yeah. action. We're not, we're not resolving the throw the rock at the window action. We're resolving the steal the jewels action. And now we now we know the owner is opposition. He might wake up. We know the the neighborhood is going to hear the noise. Maybe they'll call for the blue coats, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it's almost like everything that leads that leads us to find that opposition is is a given. Like yes, you totally do smash the window. You jump in. You smash the glass case. You grab the jewels. All that stuff is happen is happening happening uh, independent of the dice. And then the dice come in when the stakes are suddenly manifested. We know that failure means getting caught, or a failure means getting chased, or you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but but um, you can also have like that um the non-binary approach of like, yeah, you break the rock, yeah, you grab the jewels, but the owner's awake, he's got a shooter, 
and he's going to have time to take a shot at you. Um, yeah. You know, or, you know. Yeah, that's that's the yeah. most common outcome in, in the design of blades is the, the partial success. You do it, but there's you get trouble uh, yeah. along with your success. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think the use of the uh, more British slang term shooter is, um, you know, <laughs> he's got a shooter. Yes, it's appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> Although why use the term shooter when the term gun is shorter? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, not, you don't I'm call not, a knife a not. stabber. Do you? <laughs> I don't. Sorry. It's a routine from Bill Bailey that I just nicked. Ah, yeah. Nice. British comedian. He's pretty good. Yeah, I like him. I like uh, uh, Black Books. is a great show. Black Books is great, but I, like, I went back to watch it a couple of nights ago, and it's I think it's like, okay, Josh, here's how you've changed. I'm watching it, and some of these jokes are like... <sighs> but, you know. Yeah. Most of it's pretty good. A product product of its time. Yeah, but I don't know many things that last even 10 years, and are still like... Something you'll go back to and enjoy as much. Hmm. Like, for, for, for example, there is a, um, an Australian movie called Hercules Returns, which is a very well-known cult Australian comedy. And it's hilarious. It was the funniest thing that we'd watched, like, 20-odd, 25... Oh, God, I'm old. Years ago. Um, and now, like, watching it, it's like... It's still funny, but I shouldn't laugh at that. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. That's good. That's a good sign. It means it means you uh you you've you've grown up and learned things. You're not you're not stagnant. That is probably a good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, every day. Um now Blake Ryan Batman, um have you ever thought of a game of BITD slash other where you play the other citizens of Duskball? Like, you know, the, the ghosts trying to break free or demons possessing people to stop something worse from taking hold in the city. Yeah, uh, I, I haven't run that uh, personally, but there there are rules in the game for playing ghosts and other creatures like that. Um, there's a faction, there are several factions uh, that touch on the occult, but one of them is a faction of ghosts that have their own agenda. Um having to do with the way ghosts are dealt with in the city and their position to be the enemies mm-hmm. of the spirit wardens in particular, who are the sort of magical, uh, the ghostbusters type people. Um, so yeah, it's there. The, the setting has space for, for a group of, of ghosts or vampires or demons. Um, and, uh, several of the crew playbooks and in, in blades in the dark, you have, uh, a character sheet for your for your gang, and um, several of the types would suit the ghosts. The they're they're uh, called the reconciled, and and um, yeah, they they could easily be a cult, or they could be hawkers that are providing ghostly services uh, to people in the city. They could be assassins. Ghost assassins would be powerful, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you could you could absolutely do that. Uh, starting out with the ghost playbook isn't totally ideal it's not it's not bad but it's it's more interesting if you play the living character first and then transition over because you have this background to kind of draw on but it would be possible to to just start out where everyone's already a spirit um yeah you could totally do that yeah i mean um like i was thinking like a ghost faction wouldn't be 
particularly influential because they're a bunch of nobodies. Sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so that. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I could read through and see yeah. like the vampire rules. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Like death is not the end. Like you can keep traumatizing these characters. Um, <laughs> yeah. And as a dungeon master, yeah, that's is. fun. <laughs> It is possible to keep going if you want to. Uh, so some some players kind of understand the trap there and are like, "Nah, that character dies. I'll make a new one." Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's quick and easy to make a new character. Mm-hmm. Like you can just like done. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm done. That was an important I'm component. Be yeah, there's like I th- I feel like ninety some percent of role players uh, across the board get attached to their characters and want to keep playing them. But there are, there are gamers like me uh, and, and my friends in my local groups that can't wait uh, for a character to be retired or killed or whatever so we can make a new one. Mm. And uh, and because in Blades, the crew is kind of the, the key element, um, we wanted to make it easy to play a character really hard, have him go out from, from trauma or wounds or whatever or go to prison and, and make a new one, and, and the, the crew persists, and the cast of characters can kind of be more of a rotating thing. Gamers in general, like I said, they're not always into that. They want to play their character to the bitter end, but um, in terms of the, the TV show model, uh, we wanted to be able to support that. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I can understand that. And, um, I mean, my kind of take on, like, character death is if it adds to the story, then die. You know? Yeah, and in, in Blades, you actually get to choose. Yeah, uh, when you cool. when you suffer harm in Blades, you can decide. You you can just say, "Yeah, I take the harm at whatever level it is, up to up to fatal harm," um, or you can say, "No, I don't. I resist that harm," um, and you automatically resist the harm. But then you roll to see how much stress your character takes because of that. Uh, and stress is sort of the long term longevity of a character. But uh, yeah, I, we've had many examples in our local groups of characters taking fatal harm and not resisting the harm and going, yeah, this is where my story ends. They, they got me. This is where this guy goes out and I'm going to make someone new for mm-hmm. next, next, the next scene. Well, um, um like, let, we, let's the players make the call. And I think it's a good call. I mean, when we played, um, lasers and feelings, uh, my character, um, who was an alien hotshot pilot. And mm-hmm. by the name of Kwanga, who was like a, um, like an anthropomorphic quokka. Quokka's mm-hmm. like small kangaroo rat things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and like, even before we finished the game, I kind of like mentally decided he's going to go out in a blaze of glory. Like that's, <laughs> that's how his story resolves because it's what the character would want. Um, he was also always like horny on main. So when the shuttle he was flying blew up, I said, well, look, he went out doing what he loved, you know, banging something in a shuttle. So <laughs> totally quanged. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to this and just I'm still up in the air to see if my incarnation of Arthur Shelby is going to make it through the whole season or whether he's going to get stabbed and become a vampire. <laughs> yeah yeah uh good luck uh, i might just do that <laughs> to annoy my little brother who's running it it's like yeah hey, hey, you gotta learn more rules haha 
Um, Martin Orchard, who goes by at Orchard Martin, um, you know, different direction there. Um, how flexible do you think the forged in the dark engine is, given that we've had uh, at Strasse turned it into Band of Blades, which I've never heard of, um, and Alt Gamester at large, uh, sorry, at Gamester at large, uh, teased turning that into a dimension hopping Stargate adventure. Um, and their follow-up question is, um, what genre would you like to see but don't want to tackle? Um, yeah, so it is... Blades is... is the, the Forge in the Dark uh, system is, is the kind of core system in Blades in the Dark, and that's provided on the website on bladesinthedark.com. You can go there and get the... We have an SRD system reference document of the uh, publicly available rules, which anyone can use as the backbone for their own uh, game. Hmm. And there's been several notable uh, releases under the the Forged in the Dark license um, by Strash and John LL have created Scum and Villainy, which is the sort of Star Wars e Cowboy Bebop esque space adventure game. Uh, Band of Blades, which is dark military fiction, fantasy military fiction in the vein of the Black Company. Um, and there's a bunch up more. Uh, Girl by Moonlight is coming out, um, which is sort of magical girls, like Sailor Moon style. Um, there there are there are many Forge in the Dark games at this point. Um, there, a lot of them are collected on the Blades in the Dark website if you're interested in all the various things there. But um, in terms of flexibility, uh if if you if you cleave very closely to what is currently there which is crews of of action adventure characters getting into trouble together uh that's what the system supports best in its sort of default state and that covers almost all of genre fiction can be described by a crew of action adventure characters getting into trouble mm. uh so it covers a lot of ground but if you wanted to do uh, jane austen um yeah comedy romance of, of manners type thing you could and people some people are doing that kind of thing with fortune in the dark um there's all kinds of ways you can adapt the system strip things out put stuff in it's very modular um so you can you can pull whole sections out or or mix and match different different elements yeah. Um, it it's not like it's not it like infinitely flexible. It's not some sort of universal game system or anything like that. Uh, but it does cover the general space described by most actiony genre media that any any touchstone that you might name there. Um, and I mean that that's true of a lot of tabletop games. Most tabletop games are suited for that sort of thing like your Pirates of the Caribbean or Battlestar Galactica or Star Trek or Dune or you name it like they all kind of most role-playing games are sort of generally in that space of a action-oriented drama of some sort um, I can actually so, see yeah, this it, doing the Dune thing just like beautifully or Warhammer 40,000 mm -hmm. thing doing this just like wonderfully there is there are several uh, Warhammer 40k hacks fan creations uh, that we link to on the website. I think there's a couple. Um, I was just reminded the other day on Twitter of the uh, um, 
Necromunda kind of um, hack. Yeah. Uh, this is which Necromunda. Is great. The, Just the, a different like the playbooks are really their the graphic design of them is beautiful. They did a good job of of dressing them up to look very Warhammer. And, um, well, John, you've given me a bunch of things to go give money to. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and speaking of Dune, uh, Strash and John L.L. from Off Guard Games, who made Band of Blades and Scum and Villainy, they're also making Throne of the Void, which is a grand, feudal, uh, noble uh, war in space. It's it's very, very, very Dune. I was going to say, like, getting first, access to that license. First couple playtests of that. Yeah, getting access to that license right <laughs> now would not be easy. <laughs> no, it's already spoken for. The Dune board game comes out, I think, at the same time as the film. Um, hmm. uh, sorry, the role-playing game, rather. Um, oh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 well underway. I think it's probably finished at this point. But oh, um, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. I forget. Is it Modifius? Somebody like that is doing it. Um, well, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's probably going to be good. Yeah, please but yeah, Throne me, of the Void. Uh, please tell me on the, the front it says, "I shall not fear." <laughs> Hopefully, I mean, <laughs> oh gosh, darn it! Here's my money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, quick, quick, quick side note there. I, I, I got to run the uh, Free League, um, Free League, and they, they published uh, the Alien RPG. Uh, okay. They kickstarted like a couple years ago, and I, I got the sort of deluxe set. Um, it is fantastic. I love it. it they, they, they make um, uh, Mutant Year Zero and uh, uh, God, what's it called? Um, I've played the video game of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's good. Yeah, it's it's that same it's, property. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. They make great licensed stuff, and mm. uh, their alien game is just wonderful. I, the way it does like stress, uh, and and the rising tension, and and how your character can kind of like fly off the handle and make bad decisions, it's it's really good. Um, mm. But yeah. the follow up question there, I think, was genres that, that I want to see but I don't want to do, and uh, there are there are very there are a lot, um, but most of them are. Uh, being done by people who are more, just more suited to make the material, uh, like, um, uh, you know, because of their cultural background or because of their, 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 their identity, their their, their selves. You know, they're they're in a better position to write about certain topics or certain groups of people or periods of history. Um, that are things that are, are not my stories to tell. So um, we're seeing some of that sort of work start to come out. And there's been already several things, but um, some stuff on the horizon I'm really excited about um, has has to do with um, particularly Filipino uh, lore and, and background. Um, it's it's actually a thing that we're kind of working on. So I, I'm, I'm being weirdly cagey about no, it because no, no, we haven't no, announced no, no, it yet. No, that's but, fair. Like, I but, wouldn't um, want you to like suddenly say, hey, Josh, uh, could you delete that out of the interview? I wasn't supposed to mention that, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's stuff that's on the horizon, and um, and there's a lot of stuff on itch.io uh, that, mm-hmm. is, that is touching on on stuff like this. Uh, there, there's a really cool game called Mothlands, um, which I really like. Uh, there's, there's just so many voices in this, in the space of tabletop design right now uh, that are in a much wider spectrum of diversity than we've had traditionally in the role-playing space. And I, I think that's, it is admittedly something I'd love to see happen over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Is like, 
you know, you, you'll see on Twitter someone getting very upset saying, why did you not get someone who actually is of this culture to tell you about this to make sure you did it yeah. right? And I think that's great. Yeah. I, I think we need much more of that. It's really important. Um, it's something that we did for Agon, for our, for our Ancient Greek Heroes game. We got uh, James Mendez Hodes and John Staropoulos came in for us and did cultural consultation and... Um, it's it's to me it's a required thing now mm. uh for for me as a designer and for evil hat as a publisher we take it very seriously um but also just in the world of games um i don't feel like it's my responsibility to uh like be the person who's making this all the stuff like i i, I want to make the things that i'm passionate about and that i have a point of view on and, and insights to share um and then i want to leave space for other people to do their thing mm-hmm. and it, it, it for so long there was a kind of bottleneck especially when everything was before digital uh, publishing when everything had to go through the very limited publishing houses and space of of the industry um it was just just a bunch of like very similar type people <laughs> doing very similar type things and there weren't there weren't a lot of voices, and now it's just very different because of itch and other platforms that give people direct access. But then there's this secondary effect, like it. Yeah, it's great that anyone can have their itch site and sell whatever they want, but also like the various publishers, Wizards, Evil Hat, Pathfinder, all those people, like they need to step up too and create those spaces within their publishing schedules, within their uh, workforces, to. Uh, make room for those voices, support those voices, give them jobs, pay them, you know, do all of that stuff. Um, instead of just being like, cool, you can self-publish on itch all you want. Like, yeah, that's, that is great. But there's a kind of next level of support there that's um, starting to take hold, but there's a long way to go. And those are the, those are the projects that I uh, quote unquote, don't want to do Um not because I don't want to see them in the world, but because those aren't my things to make. They're, they're other people's products to make. And um, I'm really excited for the future where more and more room for those things can, can uh, prosper. Like I was actually thinking, I'd love to kind of see like a, um, a rum rebellion and maybe blades in the dark thing. Um, For non-Australians and Australians who didn't learn about this in history, the rum rebellion was like, one Australia Day before we were a federated country, and a whole bunch of people got very drunk and threw the governor in the harbour. Mm-hmm. Which is about the most Australian <laughs> rebellion we could have arranged. Yeah. <laughs> Did you kill anyone? Nah, mate, we just got a bit pissed, chucked him in the water. Yeah. That'll show him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, we are a boring people. Yeah. We have, speaking of Australia, uh, Ash McAllen, uh, the game designer, uh, who's, who's Australian, um, she's working on a Forge in the Dark hat called uh, The City of Red Waters, and it it is a, a fantasy interpretation of elements of history, touching on um, both the Australian uh, elements of, of indigenous culture and colonialism, as well as the sort of Southern American, Louisiana, Bayou area of um of that same that's a mix um 
Yeah, it started out at, by from a different author that was a little more America focused. And when Ash took over, she wanted to bring the Australian point of view into it. Um, and that's that's another place where the product needs a, a variety of voices. And Ash mm. can talk about things from her perspective and her experiences and her understanding of those things. But at, Ash is not an indigenous person. And so like that. That um, person needs to be on the project. Who does um, who yeah. is an Australian Indigenous person who does that kind of work? I'll, I'll shoot them your details if you'd like. That would be great. Yeah, we have a couple cultural consultants already, but there's no reason we can't reach out to more. So yeah, send me yeah, the no details. That'd be great. Um, but that that's just an example of how in the past, like that product could have just been made by whoever because someone thought that mm. like cool, foggy. Uh, New Orleans was a neat setting for a role-playing game, and that would have been fine. It is, <laughs> but it's a huge missed opportunity if you're not if you're not someone who's actually have those lived experiences or have understandings of those um, histories, issues of history or or of current day. Um, it, it's it's like not just a socially responsible thing to do; it's a way to make a better game because you're gonna you're going to have more understanding of the material if it is coming from people who really do have those insights. They're not just sort of uh, reading a history book or a Wikipedia page. Um, it makes, it just brings so much more to it to, uh, to have the, the expertise um, rather than just the uh, distillation of someone who read some books. Hmm. I, I am usually just that person who read some books, so I can, I yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I look at it and I think, yeah, <laughs> yeah me too. It's it's me too. It's, but I think, like, Blades is a great example where you know, I it it is based on all these touchstones, books and film and and various things that I'm passionate about. But the things that the insights that Blades has to talk about in, in terms of poverty and and um, criminality and uh, the brutality. Uh, disguised as law enforcement um, those things are those are things that I can talk about and have are part of my life and my background and Blades doesn't have a lot to say about race for instance um, because that is not my background that's not my story to tell it's not my experience um, so it it needed to as a to, to be a better stronger product it just made sense to lean on the class and and wealth and um, oppression issues that are more that are closer to to me um, as the sort of tentpole elements of that game instead of trying to um, pretend to be something that it isn't yeah, and um, and I, other true. writers now are in a place where they can fill up those blanks they can write more meaning, meaningfully about race and, and other things in the setting of Blades in the Dark that I'm very excited to see those things that are, they're coming, they're, they're on the, they're on the horizon, like I said, and it's, it's going to be really cool to see them realized. I think it will be. I, I mean, it, it sounds like it's a very, it, it's a very responsible approach, but as you said, like it means we get cooler stuff to play with. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where's the objection? Like, I didn't, I didn't see a point. Yeah. Exactly. That that's the goal. We all we all want cooler stuff to play with. Yeah. So you know, do do that. Yeah, exactly. I mean I'm not gonna object. If you give me something cool to play with, I'm gonna say thank you. This is great. 
<laughs> and wait, I can have yeah. a better understanding and more empathy for other people. Win-win, mate. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's really cool. Now, um, John, we always have one last question that we always ask. Um, what, what what do you do to take care of John? Like, what, what's your self care? Do you hike? Do you fish? Read? What, what's how are you making sure you're as you are as okay as you can be? Ah, that's a great question. Uh, Especially now. Yeah, for real. Um, so I. I, I am a huge uh, media buff of all sorts, film and television, especially. Couldn't tell. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that. That's a huge part of it. I, I love seeking out um, artists and creators in those spaces and devouring everything they make and and uh, enjoying, you know, thinking deeply about their work and and all of that. I'm a big fan, and I miss I miss the face to face conversations at the bar with my friends uh talking about whatever thing that we've been watching and um someday we'll get back there but uh that that is a huge thing for me playing games is very important i i sometimes say that my job as a game designer is to play games and i, I treat that seriously but but not as a as work per se um as as a fun thing to do but i i try to stay very literate in uh board game video game tabletop rpg stuff um so today i was playing mortal shell it just came out the new souls like um game which is great so far i've heard good things um, yeah it's really cool um and neon abyss i've been playing a lot of stuff but that that's a it's a relaxing thing for me to do and it's also uh loading my my subconscious mind with all this stuff and three years from now and i'm struggling to think of a way to resolve an encumbrance mechanic you know something from a game will be percolating back there and go oh yeah that's a perfect way to do that mm -hmm. so uh when i'm playing the game i treat it as as leisure time but uh ultimately it is kind of like a work task in, in, a, in a way um, mm -hmm. but also uh my partner is a huge a huge part of of my my self-care and self uh uh just be, being a, feeling like a good human um, she's wonderful and, um, she is very passionate about cooking and, um, we, we have various labs that we do where we like do like, okay, how can we make the best version of a classic American burger? Like what's, what are the, what are the various elements and let's experiment with changing this and see if that improves it. Let's change this. Let's change the bun. Let's change the cheese. Um, and now, especially since we're just essentially like at home having home meals every night uh and and she's a she's a an incredible incredible chef uh, so it's been this really great positive result of of the lockdown for us has been this um almost nightly just fun cooking experimental thing, and the end, end result is delicious food so uh that's been <laughs> again. <laughs> really wonderful it yeah. is it has taken the sting out of the lockdown so much um i i am very lucky to have that in my life and um, allison is an incredible person uh and also a game designer um so we we also get to chit chat about how, how you're solving the problem in your game right now <laughs> which is su super good uh and yeah it it has made this whole experience um way less 
traumatizing. It's still the I, I call it the psychic weather. The psychic weather report has been very bad every day for a long time. Mm. Um, and it, I think everyone should acknowledge this and be gentle to yourself. Realize why maybe you're not being super productive, or maybe why things are hard harder to do. Mm. If it's because of this bullshit, like it's that's why. Um, but um, I I have to say that for me personally, because of my partner and because of the the environment I'm in, um, I feel really lucky. And there's it's been much less uh, uh, troublesome and traumatic than it otherwise would have been. Mm-hmm. No, I can understand that. And and especially with now, like I, I think it's, um, what's his name, Mike Duncan from the uh, from the Revolutions podcast. On, on one of his like latest episodes, um, whoop, Josh just slammed his desk into the wall. Good work. Um, <laughs> he's like, "Hey, everyone, look, shame's cancelled. Don't worry. Just yeah, recognize this is not normal, and this should. I mean, it's going to be normal, but it's not normal that you should make yourself feel worse in." Yeah, I think yeah. I'm I'm down with that. Yeah. Absolutely. It's not forever. Uh it's we have to do what we have to do. America is is doing a terrible job. Um but other nations have stepped up and and our things are getting better. So mm. it's not completely hopeless. It's it is just uh it's a really tough tough time right now. I I do want to point out that um in Australia we are a cruel people. Um one of the states here, uh, Victoria, has seen like an uptick in cases, and so Australians rechristened that state Victoria. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. We we throw shade. Yeah, I've noticed that about your fair land, uh, and I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Oh. I, I I'm someone who likes to know where I stand, and uh, if, if I, want, I I appreciate if you want an, uh, professional yeah. grade shade throwing and sarcasm <laughs> russians or anyone from like slavic eastern europe yep, yep. <sighs> damn very good they lay it out very good one one of my good friends is is a, a pole and he's got some he's got some real good deadpan delivery uh yeah yeah my good my stuff. grandfather was polish and it's like yeah hmm. y'all, y'all got justification to be sarcastic about everything for as long as you like mate oh yeah yeah i mean you you haven't had borders for even a hundred years <laughs> mm. cool um john thank you ever so much for your time and ever so much for everything you make um it's beautiful stuff and um i am gonna be going and probably getting scum and villainy and the dune thing and yeah, that's where my professional dungeon mastering money is going for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely check out Scum and Villainy, Band of Blades. I think you'll like both of those a lot. Um, I, I want to point out, when you said Scum and Villainy, I had a reaction with my face. I'm like, I was out of Star Wars <laughs> and now I'm back in. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, I, I kind of had a similar feeling, honestly. Yeah, it was... Yeah. D6 Star Wars was one of my favorite games of all time, and I, none of the other games since then got me, and then Scum and Villainy totally got me. It is, it's great. 
I fell asleep during the last Star Wars movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not proud I, of that. But not proud feeling of that. Me. Cool. Um yeah. again, John, thank you ever so much for your time. Um where can thank people you. This find was great. you online? And I should have asked that. Sorry. Where, where oh, can no people worries. Uh, uh, find you online? Uh Twitter is is probably the, the main place. Um at John underscore Harper, J O H N underscore h-a-r-p-e-r uh i'm also john harper dot itch dot io that's where you can get my games uh in digital format and you can go to evil hat productions if you want books printed books uh evil hat's cool if you buy a book from them you get the pdf for free so uh that's a a nice bonus if you want to get products that way uh but yeah reach out on twitter i'm very active there i try to answer questions and and you know interact with people as much as i can um, part of being an indie tabletop game designer is doing customer service forever and ever. So uh, I, I'm 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 around. If you have questions, uh, I can try to help you out. And on bladesinthedark.com, um, you'll find the Blades in the Dark forum, which uh, will lead you to all the wonderful sub forums of designers and and hacks and add-ons. And there's a very very active hacking Discord where you can go and learn how to make your own Forge in the Dark games from people that are currently doing that. I'm not really involved personally, but that community is incredible. Uh, so yeah, that's those, those are my spots. Awesome. John, thank you. Thank you.